Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. From the book of Mark, chapter 14, from verse 66 to 72. Give you a second to turn there. I wonder if you sometimes feel like uh, like this in your lives. Life is difficult sometimes to maintain your testimony. It's a challenge. It was a challenge for Peter. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them. You're a Galilean. He began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then, Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down. And he wept. Thank you. Some of you, some of you may not know this, but I can be a ten, tend to be a little bit too competitive in things. You may some. I think I think Marty knows that after watching me with the kids on Wednesday night, but. Some of you may know that I have a little bit of competitive side. It doesn't matter what it is, I just want to win. Could be Mario Kart. Could be a game of any type of thing. Capture the flag, carpet ball, or what's in the box? Let me tell you about that one. What's in the box was a simple game that they had when I was in children's church. What a wee little lad. It was a simple game where the volunteered lady bought a prize, put it in a box. You had to guess with yes or no questions, what's in the box? Simple. 
every time, every week, we got a little bit of a limited number of questions, depending on how good we were. And we had to guess what's in a box by using our investigative skills. Get it right, it's yours. I was, here's the thing though. I was younger when I was in children's church. I was probably one of the younger kids in the group and pretty terrible at the game, being all honest. The prize had been there in there for quite a while, many, many weeks. And I guess everybody was bad at it, but either way. But here's the, here's the sticky point. I was the pastor's kid. Some of you may know where the story's going already, but as the pastor's kid, I have access to the church more than other people do. <laughs> I think you're getting my, where I'm going with this. Um, and like I said, I wanted to win, and I wanted that prize. So that Sunday morning, I was there early because we had to be. And I went down to the classroom. I know where she keeps the box. I opened the lid for the box. I saw it was a harmonica. Closed the box, kept the information to myself. Then Children's Church came in. We got our certain number of yes or no questions and people are firing, is, is it round? No. Is it yellow? No. Okay. Is it a harmonica? She just stared at me. It, it, and she goes, yes, it is. Congratulations. Here's the thing. I remember guessing that correctly. And then I remember the awkward conversation afterwards where the teacher asked me, Adam, did you cheat? No. She knew my guess was really knowledgeable and perfect. Did you cheat? No but I wanted to win. I just said, lucky guess? It wasn't a lucky guess. I got that prize, I kept it, she let me have it. Brought it home. Did I ever use the harmonica? No. I really, one, I'm not good, I'm not a musician, I, can't, I don't know how to play a harmonica. You just blow in and make annoying sounds, I thought that's what it was. But I really felt shame after having it, not wanting, and to kept denying every time she asked me if I cheated. Never wanted to use the harmonica, and it sat in a drawer. The prize I wanted so badly was dripping in shame and guilt. So it stayed in the drawer until we moved, and then, you know, when, he, when you move, things get thrown away. But denial, kind of a funny beast, isn't it? It's pretty common in our society as we look at it today. Some people deny simple truth. Maybe truth on a grand scale, as in, is the world round? Is it flat? Or maybe denial on a more personal note, as in, this shirt still fits, right? This, I'm not going bald. I went bald. Um, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't have an overeating problem, and so on, and so on, and so on. Today we're looking up in the follow-up passage from when we've been looking at the, into the garden with Peter and his denial of Jesus. Being honest, this passage has not been easy for me to study and to, and to read, because I read this into my own life and ask a lot of questions. Do I do this? Or the harder question, if Peter, Peter, the Peter, could deny being a follower of Christ, deny his faith so easily, would I? 
I, if he could stumble, what about me? There's a lot of traps we could fall into, and I want to talk a little bit today, because today we're going, hitting the simple theme of denial is a process, not a simple event. Denial is a process, not a simple event. So the obvious question to start is, have you ever pulled a Peter? Have you ever openly denied being a Christ follower? And that's, have you done it privately? Maybe secretly? Maybe did it with words unsaid that you should have spoken up? Actions that should have done to, around your family, your faith? What about the other emotional consequences that come with being such a public or private denial of faith? But before we answer, get to these questions, I think we need to see why Peter is denying being a follower of Christ, and it starts with a simple emotion, fear. Our first point today helps us understand this passage, that denial is a um, process, not a simple event, because denial is motivated by fear. But some of you may be thinking, Our, this type of public denial is not something that I have done, I plan on ever doing. Great! Congratulations! But what about privately? What about just around your closest friends? Socially? Coworkers? What about when somebody misrepresents what the Bible says? Passively puts down a pastor, your, your faith. Are you defending your belief in those situations? Or does fear overcome your boldness? Today we're going to open up Mark 14 for the last time and finally finish this chapter. And we're, but we're going, to, we're going to start with verses 66 and 68, as we, Tom, Mr. Tom read for us today already. The scene of where Peter is, the courtyard of the high priest Cephas, as Jesus is being put on trial and the things that come with that, the mocking, the, the, the horribleness of that, that we, Pastor Adam showed us last week. But Peter is there that night, as we have been reminded. But let's look into the body language of Peter first. We read from, into Peter from this passage that he shows the evasiveness of Peter. The, the evas- so he came, yes, he came, Peter came to the courtyard. He came to witness what is happening. Great. Only the one that has that did that. But um, He's hanging around the outskirts of the courtyard, as far away as possible. Yes, there is a warm fire, and I'm sure if there's a bonfire, I'm going to be hanging around that too on a cold winter night, cold spring night. But Peter is there, distancing himself as far away from Jesus as possible. Nor is Peter trying to stop anything. But then again, he's not joining in on the mocking and the scourging of Jesus either way. He's just watching. But around this beautiful, pleasantly warm fire comes this servant girl. This is, comes one, and she's the servant of one of the high priests. And a servant comes to talk to Peter. So what, right? What, is, what can that do? But here's the thing. If this were just two strangers sitting around the fire trying to keep themselves warm, it'd be fine. But Peter done messed up right here because this is a servant of the high priest. And he was keeping company with this girl, and he should have known that this girl, that he was uh, 
knows everything that goes on. She's the servant of the priest. It's the same, these people, these servants were known, were have to know everything about everyone that comes into the house so they can help them and know what their, their standards are. It's sim similar to when I waited tables. I would know who my regulars are and I'm gonna make sure they have what they want with it so they don't have to ask questions. These type of things, similar principle, where you, these people, this late girl would know everything about everyone. She could recognize faces. She knew that he likes this and he likes it this way and so forth. She knows everything about these people. And this girl is a slave of the high priest. And like any slave in the priest, high priest household or any aristocratic household, it was her job to, share, to serve the people, to know their habits. And by her sitting next to Peter, this stranger, stranger, he was not from this, ho this household. That's her first clue. She could already recognize Idol. That's not, this is not anybody that's associated with us. Peter was sitting next to the wrong person because in verse 67, uh, 14, 66 and 67, it tells, um, it tells us in verse 67, when she saw Peter warming himself, Oh, here, verse 66. While Peter was in, a, in the below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus. Oh, this lady is smart. Like I said, she's able to recognize and identify things. Heck, perhaps she was there when Jesus and the disciples came to the temple and Jesus taught there. Maybe she could recognize Peter just by those moments. Maybe. Either way, this statement, you are with that Nazarene, scares Peter. It scares him. Peter gets outed as a Christ follower while surrounded in a courtyard by soldiers who are trying to persecute and kill Jesus. Peter is in self-preservation mode when we see verse 68. Peter is so afraid. Peter is so afraid that he wants to protect himself. Everything else comes second to his self-preservation. His fear overtakes him so much that he just tries to protect himself and anything else will come later. And I kind of understand, I kind of understand that emotion. We just fall back into these old habits of where we were. It's like when I uh, got engaged to Andrea. It took me a long time to call her my fiance because my natural reaction was, yeah, that's my girlfriend, fiance. You gotta go into those old habits. And that's what Peter was, kinda, he just initially falls back into those self-preservation mode out of fear. His responses are due in verse 68 out of fear, as in which he denied by saying, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Really? I don't know. Peter just responds. But in his response, he has more telling information than we, understand, than we see. Because it says, I don't know or understand. This was a common Jewish legal expression at the time, literally saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. Peter is enthralled in fear at this moment over, over this accusation by the servant girl. And it causes him to get his, his legalese out. 
by saying, you know, like trying to distance himself as far as part of, from Jesus' way, trying to be lawyer sneaky, weaseling his way out of any technicality for any wrongdoing by being associated with Jesus. Peter just denied knowing Jesus so quickly without even really reacting to it. If, if this is just natural self-preservation, this kind of gut reaction, this denial motivated out of fear, out of shock. But that does not mean God is not still there with Peter, reminding him of the prediction that Jesus made before the rooster would crow twice. That's what Jesus told him. While the NIV doesn't include that verse, many other translations add the rooster crowed at this moment. The first rooster crowed. This, I like to think of this as a little spiritual reminder from, from Peter of, watch yourself. Remember what you said earlier? Remember what Jesus said before the rooster crowed twice? One strike. Be careful. This, uh, and that's, that, that's make, it, this goes unnoticed. Peter ignores this little warning sign from God, which we've all, we all are guilty of doing at times when the Holy Spirit urges, tugs on our heart and urges us. How many times do I just, eh, I want to do what I want. Peter does the same. We're not much farther off than our friend Peter here. And you know what? We can't be like that. People who so easily deny what we believe in, deny our faith in God, let it be motivated out of fear of things. And fear is a wide emotion. And over various topics, you know, we could be, uh, be doing these type of denials motivated by fear by not wanting to be embarrassed. Not wanting others to think of us as lesser. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh. We don't want our social status to change. Nor do we want, uh, I don't know, backlash of, from the people we're associated with. We don't want a scene to be made. Oh, I had to, please don't, just quiet, just don't, you know, don't make a scene. There's a lot of things that, we could, that could motivate our fear. It's different for all of us. It's different for each situation. But by not being a Christian, by being a bold witness to God in our community, you know what we, we are at that moment? A religious person. A generic good guy. No different from anything else. Just a generic, run-of-the-mill, nice person. No different than any other religion on this earth. No different than any other cult on this earth. It's kind of a sad thought. Take Christ out of our life and we're just good, moral people. That's so sad. But denials like this between Peter and the servant girl, yes, our old instincts take place. They kind of kick in. That's hard to say, but they can, they, sometimes they come out of nowhere and old things happen. We understand that. They, keep, they catch us off guard. It's wrong, but still not as wrong as denial by lying. Look at me in verses 69 and 70a. When the, servant girl, when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. So here we go, denial number two, coming quickly. The motives have changed. No longer are we sitting in fear as the motivating process, but as we're learning today, denial is a process, not just a simple event. 
Peter walks us clearly through of exam another example of denial in this process. Denial manifested by lying. Denial manifested by lying. We, we see this with the same servant girl and Peter again in their second interaction. And how convinced must she have been that Peter wasn't associated with Jesus? Because she hounds him to a different location as a follower, and she keeps asking him and gets rebuffed each time. But she continues the conversation, even after, like, are you with Jesus? No? Okay. Wait a minute. Let me follow you again. Wait, are you sure you're not with Jesus? And this is the type of I don't, mentality she must have. But the question that starts comes to my mind is, and I'm hoping you're pondering what I'm pondering, why did Peter change motives? Why did Peter switch to openly lie to the servant girl and then crowd of others later? One thought is Peter's appearance. Is Peter, uh, this servant and the others in this area were Judeans. They were servants and people of the temple. Peter did not fit that build as a disciple of Jesus and former fisherman. Peter did not look like they did. And more importantly, he did not talk like they talked. He had a Galilean accent. I'm not gonna pretend to do a Galilean accent. <laughs> Keeping that on the table right now, I thought about it, but I'm not going to. But we all know what, how the different accents. We could play the accent game and just right now and say we can throw out one and we can name the part of the country where they're from. It'd be hilarious, but we're not going to do that. Peter's accent gave him away to the servant girl just by the way he talked, by the way he dressed. And he lied to this girl and, again, denied being a follower of Christ. But he did not deny by fear like we saw already. It, two verses earlier, no. This is not, and this is not a, no, I'm not, move on. This is not that type of denial. In verse 70, there's deny is used differently. The verb is used differently because now it's an imperfect verb because it shows a continual nature to it. So it, it could be said, Peter kept on denying. This, this is not just a simple, no. No, I'm not. Move on. No. Peter is so scared, so trying to disassociate himself with Jesus that he is consistently, continually lying to this girl. And friends, they're not good lies. They're really obvious bad lies. Kind of like my harmonica story earlier. This is not a lie that this girl knows. It's clearly a lie. Peter is telling more lies and heaping them on where just the truth would be so much easier. Peter did not stop denying knowing Jesus once. He did not de deny knowing just or twice. Peter goes for the hat trick. He wants three times. Because in the second half of verse 70, verse 70b and 71, this time he's talking to a group of people where he, she asked him if he was a follower of Christ. Peter gets one more chance to associate himself with the person he followed for three years on earth, to a disciple of, of Jesus. He gets one more chance to come clean. Instead, he sticks with his terrible lies. Let's look at verse 70b again. 
After a little while, those standing near Peter said to, said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them. I don't know this man you're talking about. <laughs> this escalates really quickly. Pretend in this simple verse, verse 70 escalates very quickly. From a simple of, no, 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 I'm not with Jesus, to Peter calling down curses to them. Um, let's talk and make sure we understand, because Peter's cursing. Let's make sure we understand what that means, the swearing and cursing, because in our mindset, those are those four little words you can't use on broadcast television. Is that what Peter's doing? No, no. This is a, this is not, that's not an accurate description. Peter is placing himself under oath, similar to what's done in a courtroom, where we swear hand on the Bible, that we solemnly swear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's very similar to what Peter's doing right here, where he's placing himself under oath to this girl that I don't know my, this man you're talking about. Hand on the Bible moment right here. That's what Peter is doing. So it's in 71, now do you understand that, Peter is calling down this curses and swearing to him is very similar to the modern concept of may rocks fall on Shay's head if I'm lying. You don't use that expression? <laughs> we use it all the time in youth group. <laughs> I'm just checking. All right. But no, that's very simply. The may lightning strike my head type of moments. That's what Pe this is the type of thing that Peter is doing. So help me God. That's the length that Pe Peter is denying being associated with Jesus, willing to cause himself harm under oath in a covenant with God, not to be associated with God. So for the third time, someone asked Peter, are you a follower of Christ? And he keeps trying to lie his way out of trouble. Does this sound familiar? Being honest with yourself, does it? Are you like that? The type of person that will just willingly lie? I know I have. How often do we do this type of thing? The little, these little tiny lies, these little half-truths, where we are these lies to ourselves that we try to help, to help motivate ourselves, to help ourselves. These polite lies so we will embarrass somebody else. Whatever that happens situation, there are many examples of the type of lies that we tell ourselves that are just frequent in our lives, in our community, where we just say, okay, yeah, that's just how you do on the earth, right? That's just how you live today in Illinois. No, telling the truth, being honest. And in this case, specifically, being honest about your faith is the better path. Are we honest about our faith to the people in our community? To people in our individual communities. I'm not talking like the Western suburbs of, you know, wherever you live. No, the people in your day-to-day -day lives, your community. Do we find some creative way to gloss over the fact that we go to church? When, when, it's, when somebody asks you, how was your weekend? Do you just kind of be like, yeah, Saturday was great. Watch TV all day. 
And then you come and be like, mm, you know, Sunday happened and I'm back here. You just kind of gloss over the fact that you had a wonderful opportunity to worship God with your brothers and sisters? Do we take the safer route and just punt on sharing our faith by ignoring this opportunity to tell them about our church, about the ministry of, that God has, is using in our life? When we pass up these opportunities to share our faith, to tell somebody of what God has done through our life, what God is teaching us each week, we den we're deniers like Peter is. Keeping one foot in the world, one foot in our faith. That's not going to work. Instead, why don't we take the opportunity to share our faith? Like, was Sunday not wonderful? Let me tell you about it. You know, last week, Pastor Adam talked about these false accusations that we go through in life and how, how the Bible tells us that we could help, help us, help us through these type of things by using God godly wisdom. Or we talk about our growth group that we went through. Last Sunday night, I gathered, we met with some guys at our growth group, our friend, and we went through the book of Romans. We did, youth group went like this. Awana went like this. We had such a wonderful time. Music was, oh, and we had a oppor wonderful opportunity sharing our faith. Do we go through that? No. A lot of time, no. And that's the sad part. It was fine. Hung out with the family. These moments where we deny our faith, where we let fear or lying carry out instead of sharing our testimony to the, our bubble of influence. And you know what? Yeah, I understand. Being that bold of a witness may be uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable at first. But like sharing, anything of sharing your faith, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Being bold examples of the God who loves us the God who made us, the God who sent his son to die for us is important to do. Maybe uncomfortable, but super important. But friends, denying our faith in this process we've been talking about today of denial through fear, through lying, is a terrible way to live. But like in everything in life, there are consequences for our actions. In this case, one of the consequences for our action is shame. Peter had just denied knowing Christ three times. Twice to the servant girl and once to the crowd. And you know what? That's the exact number of times that Jesus told him he would. Oh, shock. But this is the final point that we need to understand today is denying is marked by shame. Let's look at verse 72 one more time this morning. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crowed twice, you disowned me three times. And he broke down and wept. So here we are. The payoff for the action's done. The rooster final crow. Because of Peter's open and loud denial of his faith in the Messiah, he's marked with the consequences that come with this. And this is a stark change from Peter's earlier statement in chapter 14, we talked about the last few weeks, of Peter declared in verse 29-31, I will not fall away, with, fall away, even if everyone else does, not me. That's what Peter said. That he would die with Jesus before he disowns him. Willing 
to die. Now not even willing to be in the same courtyard as him. Can you imagine, though, in this what-if scenario, if the Peter state carried out the boldness of his faith, when the servant girl came up to him and asked him, are you the, with that Nazarene? He, Peter just goes, yeah, of course I am. How different that his, this moment would have been. Would Peter have been arrested? Probably. Maybe. Would Peter have been sentenced? Would Peter have used this great opportunity to share of his faith of what Christ has done to anyone who would hear? Absolutely. But that didn't happen. Peter did deny knowing Jesus. As Jesus, he would, as, as Jesus said he would. Peter did leave Jesus to die on a cross alone, even after promising that he'd be on his right by his side. Peter, Peter was denied initially motivated by fear. Then he started to lie his way out of trouble. But now, shame is what's left in his heart. Shame is kind of a weird thing to understand. I looked up shame. It said the definition for it was a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong and foolish behavior. Oh, foolish and wrong behavior. Hum feeling of humiliation. I think that summarizes perfectly what Peter's going through right now because, because of what Peter did and what he promised he would not do, Peter is awash in humiliation the painful emotion of shame. I like to think, it, it, from what I can tell, it left Peter a little broken emotionally. And then when he heard that cock-a-doodle-doo, he knew what he did wrong. Because it says, it's 72, it says that he broke down and wept. Broke down and wept. And let's make sure we understand this. This is not man crying. <laughs> Single tear sheds. You know, hit your elbow, try not to cry. So white socks lost, try not to cry. This is not that type of th to cry. This is not a single shed tear moment. This is a wailing funeral cry that Peter is experiencing. Similar, the word, this is similar, the word is used similarly in, throughout the Bible of mourners that are used. And this is, this is a type of broke down and wept is a type of emotion that is used by the mourners in like the Lazarus story, where people thought Lazarus was, where he was, temp let's just say temporarily dead. I know that's not an accurate description, but temporarily dead. Or um, when Jairus' daughter was dead for a few minutes. Dead-ish. Dead, now not dead. Uh, or Joseph, when his brothers came to Egypt and he saw his brothers again and he went privately around and broke down and wept. These are these type of transformational moments of crying where emotion just lets out. This is not just a single tear falling down your cheek. No, this is wailing. This is shame-induced crying. And crying probably is a really, really weak word to use of, of, to describe this emotion that comes with shame and guilt of sin done that Peter is experiencing. But the thing about being a believer in God, choosing to follow the Messiah. Even in these moments, we can still be forgiven. Even at our lowest moments, we can still be forgiven, no matter where we came from. Jesus did forgive Peter. Spoilers. But Peter did 
forgive Peter for his denials and the rest of his sins when he died on the cross, when he took that humiliating punishment that Peter deserved, that I deserve. No matter what the sin is in your life, no matter how hard of a person you are, no matter how terrible of a person you think you are, you can always find forgiveness in God. Each and every one of us. doesn't matter if what we were in the past. A criminal, an addict, a liar, an abuser, denier. There's forgiveness of all. If we ask, if we seek for it, if we ask God for forgiveness, we will be forgiven. And if I can give you a little homework too, because I love doing this. If in John, first in John 21, we, saw the, we see the little final bits of this uh, three denial story where Peter's denial, this in the, it's the feed my sheep section. I know you'd want to w- read that to make sure you want to understand what that is in John chapter 21. So read that and I will check on you this week. I'm watching you. So here's the thing. This is a, read that about uh, this, where even though Peter was, let's be honest, in this, in this moment, Peter was kind of a turd of a person. That's the thing is, Jesus still forgave him. And in, we see in this John chapter 1 section, G- Peter charged him. Jesus charged Peter with telling others about the Savior. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. That is the transformation that comes only from God. Sinner to forgiven. And it gives me hope. Even after all these denials, the consequences of our actions there are still there, though. Peter still did these three verbal denials. Being a believer, uh, having consequences for Peter, just as they would for us. The consequences don't stop. And if the rumors are true, Peter faced his own denial of consequences because church tradition tells us, and let me make sure we understand that. I'm not saying the Bible tells us. I'm not saying church theologians tell us. I'm not saying church historians tell us. Church tradition says that people secretly made rooster crowing sounds to Peter for the rest of his life. Can you imagine what that would be like? Peter walks into church Sunday morning and then he gets waits in line for his coffee and he just kind of like he, and then a little snickering behind his back. He hears these rooster crowing sound the rest of his life. Is it mean? Yeah, it is mean. Would I not want that to happen to me? Yes. Is it justified though for what he did? A little bit. While we would never want this type of secret humiliation, the secret mocking to happen to us, and if this is true, we must acknowledge that these rooster sounds, while are mean, are something that Peter earned. And perhaps even thankful for. Thankful for. Yes, thankful for, because it would remind him of this terrible night where he openly denied knowing Christ three times. These type of reminders show of our sinful failures in our life, of who we once were, and now who we are in Christ. 
these type of reminders could be simple of, I need a filter on my computer because I used to be an, an addict. Yeah, that's who I was once. And that, that filter reminds me of that. Now in Christ, I'm a, a new creation. It could be um, when I go out to a party or a restaurant, I can't order what I want because of an addiction problem or so on and so forth. There's always these reminders of these lives transformed. Yes. Are they awkward and uncomfortable? Yeah. But they remind us of what Christ did through us. So for Peter, if it's true, every time he heard that cock-a-doodle-doo, I'm sure he'd smile a little bit, knowing that, yeah, I did that. But you know what also Christ did through me? Forgave me for that. So where does that leave us? If we screw up, like Peter, deny Christ and his, his free gift of salvation, are we doomed? Are we hopeless? No. There's still forgiveness for each of us. Even at our lowest of moments. Mine could be a simple little harmonica that was uh, obtained creatively? Illegally? Wrongly. I fleeced that old lady. Let's just put it down there. I did. I know it may not be a huge, a huge thing. Still wrong. But what about yourself? Are you denying the Savior like Peter did? Maybe not publicly like Peter. But there's man you could be manifest manifested in other similar ways. Share your faith. Let others know about your activity, about how God has transformed you, about what you're reading in your Bible. That's why we are encouraging us these weeks to read your Bible for this Munchkin March. Why are we encouraging you to share? When we say, when the church posts something on social media, share it. Is it so, uh, so we can have the highest feed and the best percentages? No. It's so other people can hear this sermon as well. That is what we share our faith. Tell somebody about the time you had a worship. Tell them about the growth group that you went to. Tell them about the change in your life, how you went from imperfect and broken. Correct. Maybe even it's just a simple fact of being willing to correct somebody when they have a misinformation about the Bible, what the Bible says. You know, that's just a bunch of rules written by a bunch of old dead people, you know. It doesn't really matter. Oh, well, let me tell you about what John 1 says. When we pass on engaging in these moments, little as they may be, we are denying those around us the opportunity to know who God is, so to be forgiven, so that to, for them to maybe even be a part of God's forever family. That is what the cross is about forgiveness to all who come to it, from the elite to the poor, generous to the cheap, no matter what our race, gender, social status, past. Even at the lowest points of our life, God still loves us. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. We were saved by grace through faith. Not by anything else. Not because of our perfect smile, perfect attendance, where we were born. No. We are saved by grace, nothing we deserved. 
So when we look through this final section of Mark 14, we see denial. Denial as the process. It's not just a simple one thing when we have this type of denial. No. We saw this in the life of Peter when he, with his multiple denials, and we saw that by denial is motivated by fear. Denial is motivated, manifested by lying. And denial is marked by shame. Today, I hope each of us takes the opportunity to share our faith on some scale this week. Large, small, at all. But don't forget, when we screw up, we can still find forgiveness with God, the God who loves us. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I give you thanks for this, this moment. I give you thanks for the opportunity to come and to worship you, for be, to be the God who created us, who loves us, to be opportunity for us to worship you, the one who sent us on to die for us, even though we may not be these great people, having these great moments. Father, help us to be better examples of you, being believers in God who are willing to share our faith, willing to give others the opportunity to know who you are, that you love them deeply. I pray for each of us here today, Father, that we can continue to share this greatest story ever told, that you sent your son to earth to die for me, to take what I earned. Father, I thank you for the opportunity. Help us to continue to grow in our faith, to, to love others, to love you. And I pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.